a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a rock. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, Peter Whitley comes by to talk about some amazing Japanese UFO cases, as well as just some of his incredible encounters with astral projecting himself onto UFOs, as well as his abduction encounters. So it's amazing, guys. This is a wonderful conversation. Uh, He is doing it all the way from Japan, so it was very nice to sit down with him. And uh, all the ways to find him, of course, linked in the show notes are some additional links of some things that we spoke about as well on the show. Linked down there also for your enjoyment, so check those out as well. While you're checking out the show notes, also take a gander at our affiliate links. There's Food Forced Abundance down there. Freedom from Fear, that's where it's found, is that link right there. Libsyn, if you want to host your own podcast, Check that out. That's who I host through. I believe you get two months for free using that link. Uh, Also, if you're going to buy any damn thing at all on Amazon, use our link. It helps the show, and it was something you were going to get anyway. Also, if you would like to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's going to be uh, Rockfin is linked up over there, as well as we have our too cool or too hot for YouTube videos, and we've got our lives that we repost there that we do on Rockfin. So, Go over there and check that out, guys. Become a member. Uh, We will not spam you, I promise. And uh, it's just some really cool stuff and a great way to kind of interact with the show. So let's get to the damn thing with uh, Peter Whitley. <laughs> That's right. Limber up. Limber up. <laughs> That's it. I mean, th- this is it. This is the conversation. Peter Whitley and I are hanging out. Uh, guys, welcome to it. We are just hanging out, having a great time. Peter, you are a badass. And uh, we're going to talk about some really cool stuff. So you are over in Japan. Sure am. Yes. I've been here for 14 years. Okay. What brought you that way? Um, you know, I came here on a whim right after university. I spent some time here. Loved it. Went back to the States. Um, I studied um, psychology, went into counseling. I did that for about five years, spent all of my holidays back here in Japan. Right. And so after, I mean, after five, six years of that, I was like, I'm going to just pull the trigger and move there. And I did. 2007 came here, been here ever since, permanent resident, wife and a son. I'll be here for the rest of my life. That's so cool. And how long have you been looking into the UFO phenomena? You know, I've been looking into it in a in a serious way for about 14 years since I got here. I had a couple of encounters back when I was younger, um, but I kind of just put them in the back of my mind. And, you know, it's funny. The thing that got me looking into it is right after I arrived, I saw a children's art exhibit. OK, now one of these posters, this is like kindergarten kids, one of these posters Someone had drawn a UFO with a little gray alien head in there, you know, and I looked at that and I and suddenly in my brain, it snapped. I was like, hey, that happened to me when I was younger. And I I thought, I'm going to see if anyone's written a book about this. That's how naive I was. You know, I want to see if there's any books about UFOs. <laughs> and so I go on Amazon. And of course, there's a thousand books on UFOs, a thousand books on aliens. Um, bought my first one. And literally ever since I've been reading a UFO book a day. So it was just completely out of your paradigm that UFOs were a thing. But you recognized a book 14 years ago from this point in your life, from something that happened to you in childhood. Yeah, I mean, I always knew that they were real. I had two um, what you would call abductions. I'm not saying they were bad, but I didn't ask to be taken when I was 17 and 18. So and at the time, I, that was a paradigm shift, ontological shock for me, right? I knew they were real, but 
But I just, I don't know. It's one of those things just put in the back of my mind. Hey, it happened. I tell people every once in a while. But I never thought to really look into it. You know, can't explain it. But this happens sometimes to experiencers. Something will happen early in their lives and then something triggers it and then they're all in. Yeah, it's like you're unlocked later on in life, you know, because you weren't ready or couldn't handle it or it wasn't it wasn't useful to you to recall it then. And so now you recognize it for what it is. That's interesting, man. You know, uh, so with uh, you moving over there, though, I'm very, very curious about your interpretation of the Japanese approach culturally to the UFO phenomena versus perhaps the Western society's uh, approach to it. Let's say the U.S. There are some cultural differences. Um, I will say up front, in general, the Japanese are very open to the concept of UFOs. In fact, I would say, in my experience at least, they're more open to the concept than people in America, where I'm from, were, at least until a few years ago with the Tic Tac stuff. Now people are on board. But for a long time here, UFOs have been in the media, um, TV shows, you know, will show UFOs and such like stuff like that. Now, the one part where it differs is I find a lot fewer people here admit to seeing UFOs. Um, my work primarily as a researcher is focused on human and extraterrestrial encounters. Very rarely, very rarely do I hear of Japanese people coming forward and saying, yes, I had an actual encounter with an extraterrestrial. Um, there's also some differences in the type of UFO seen. Now, here in Japan, of course, we do have sightings of the typical discs or cigars, whatnot, but we get a lot of lights orbs orbs behaving erratically look like they're intelligently controlled so on and so forth yeah those are some of the main differences well i'm super curious about japanese ufo cases because i only really can ever think about one uh, and it's that one in uh what was it february 22nd 1803 and yes i had to look it up again uh yutsuro boon the hollow ship with the lady about 18 to 20 that came in and she didn't speak japanese it was the three fishermen do you, you know this story Absolutely. Yeah. 1803. You nailed it. You nailed it, my man. 1803. Yeah. She arrived on the East Coast of Japan in a hollow ship, as they described it. Now, if you look at pictures today, they drew. It looks more or less like a flying saucer. Like you said, pale skin. She had orange hair, obviously foreign. Inside this ship, strange writing. She held a box, which she would not let anyone touch. They couldn't communicate. Um, they gave her some provisions and they put her back in her ship, sent her on her way. That was tradition at the time. Probably the most famous case in Japan. Yeah. And that's like the only one I know about. So I was very excited whenever we had spoken the other day uh, to get you on here to talk about a few, maybe to expand our repertoire and our knowledge a little bit about, you know, what's being reported over there. So uh, what's your what's your uh, go to one over there? Okay, so we don't have like a Japanese Roswell. We don't have any reports of like a, of a UFO crashing the military, pulling, pulling an alien out. But there are a couple of really cool encounters I, that I personally love. One of them is the Kara incident. That was in 1972, okay? 13-year-old boy's coming home from school. He sees something metallic floating over like a rice field, right? He says it looks like a silver hat. He goes home and gets his friends. Well, four, uh, four friends. Five of them go back. One of them has a camera, okay? Now, the boy with the camera snaps a couple of pictures of this, this object. When he snaps the pictures, this object goes haywire and starts burrowing itself into the ground, okay? So the boys go over there and, you know, hey, more power to them. Those boys are brave. They went and they pulled that little thing out of the ground. By hand? What they hmm? By hand? They just ripped this thing as it was burrowing in? <laughs> yeah, they just pulled it out. Okay. Pulled it out. And when they looked at it, it basically looked like a little fine saucer as we know it. They, they could see inside it. They thought there was something moving. 
so they take this thing home, okay? Um, they hit it with a hammer. It won't break. Um, one, the, one of the boy's father looks at it. He can't figure out what it is. On the underside of it, there's 31 tiny holes, some strange writing. So these boys are like, hey, we're going to take it to school. So one of them puts it in his backpack the next day, okay? Goes to school. He's all excited, opens up his backpack. It's gone, right? Disappeared. Not the end of the story, okay? The boys keep going back to this rice field at night, trying to find it again. Sure enough, they see it again. This time they've got a plan. Here's their plan, and it worked. They throw some rags over this little object, and then they dump a bunch of water on it, mm -hmm. okay? I think their you know, intention was, hey, let's malfunction this, yeah. this guy. <laughs> and that works. That works. It shorted right? it out like a short circuit <laughs> kind of thing? Possibly. <laughs> okay. That was their idea. It works. Now, this time, okay, they look real close at it because you can see inside. They describe it as looking literally like the inside of a spaceship. Like they see little tiny control panels and stuff. This thing is the size of a hat, right? So they knew it disappeared the first time. So they're like, we need a better plan. <laughs> they put this thing in a plastic bag, fill it with water, because water is apparently yeah, its weakness. Clearly, yeah, no. yeah. Yeah, tie the bag shut. One of the boys will always watch it. That's their plan. One of these five boys always watch it. Beyond that, they tie it to their wrist, right? So it does, so they don't lose it. So one day, these boys are going to school. One of the boys has it tied to his wrist, right? He feels a tug on the bag, okay? He takes the bag off his wrist. They open it up. The object is gone. Oh. They never saw it again. Oh. There's there's pictures of this thing on the internet. Really? Look up, yes. Look up Kara incident. There's the pictures they took of it kind of floating in the field. There's a picture of one of the boys holding it up. Um, those pictures aren't very clear. You know, we're talking 1972. It's kind of dusk. But there are clear pictures of the object they took at home. And you can look at the underside of this thing. It's a real trip, man. That is so cool. All right. If I can find a video audience, they'll be here. If I can't, they won't. But I'm, I'm going to track these things down. Peter and I will hunt these down and put them in the video right here. Audio only audience, of course. Check the show notes for expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where the full video will be. Uh, amazing, dude. I love stories like that. And I want to say that I've heard this in some capacity, but I... Couldn't have recalled it like you did, but whenever you were saying that the boys took it and then it vanished, that that rang bells. But yeah, like it was miniature, and you you've heard of these not only in uh, Jap Japanese culture. I don't know if they've had any over there, but the small UFOs with small occupants in them, like they're very wee, you know, little occupants, which is interesting. Definitely, that that's really odd to think about. You know, I, I suppose that would be less frightening than seeing a four or five or six foot tall, tall entity. Yeah, that's true. They come smaller so that you don't, they're not as threatening. That's true. We equate size <laughs> with threat. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Uh, well, what's another one, man? We got another one. This one's called the Kofu incident. This is my other favorite one. This happened in 1975. Okay. So two boys are um, just in a field. They see a silver craft. Now, this time it's a large craft, you know, the size we typically think of a UFO. Okay, they see a large craft. It lands. A ladder comes out of this craft. Okay, down this ladder descends this four foot tall being. Okay, now his skin, his face, dark brown. He's wearing silver colored clothing. Okay, now let's go back to his face. No eyes, no nose, no mouth. He's got three fangs where the mouth should be, right? Sounds like a pretty creepy dude, okay? So these boys are, you know, close to the UFO and they're close enough that they can see inside it. You know, it opened up, this ladder came down. 
inside they see another being. Now they thought this being inside the craft was smaller. It appeared smaller to them. While they're looking in there, you know, what's going on? This guy that came down, this entity, comes up behind one of the boys, taps him on the shoulder. Oh god. Taps him on the shoulder. <laughs> and both boys, he said he something, some noise was made, okay, from this entity. And the boys described it as a tape recorder running backwards. Ah, uh, that's when a noise would have been made from my pants of me shitting them. <laughs> indeed, indeed, right? So the boy that got tapped, he's just shocked, right? You know, of course, the other boy has to physically drag him away. They go running, okay? Now, that's a great story on its own. But it's just two boys in a field seeing something. People go back, talk to the neighbors. Neighbors report seeing an orange something flying around before the time of the incident. Another neighbor reported seeing an orange luminous object shoot off in the distance after these boys said they'd seen it. Yeah. Damn, same color. When was that one? That's 75, 1975. So it's like a little flap there within those uh, three year, that three year period at least. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what was the name of that one again? I'm just curious. Kofu Incident. Kofu. That's amazing. Kofu. Okay. Uh, well, awesome. I'm, I'm noting these because I just want to go through and like look them up and see, you know, what they were all about. Yeah. This is amazing. That is such a cool story. But the fanged entity with no nose or face is interesting. Like how they appear to people is very interesting. Um, so it was like an orange thing that a ladder came down from or was it like a structured craft? Do you, do you remember? So when it was flying, it gave off an orange glow. Gotcha. When it landed, the craft was silver. Okay. So presumably that orange had something to do with the power mechanism. Possibly. Makes yeah. sense. I mean, you hear about that with the powering up and down of craft and that's what it does. It brightens in intensity and, and kind of powers down, you know, when it settles. And it's kind of just a way that a good way to articulate it from our perspective with our technology. Uh, do you have any more? Um, yeah, sure. Um, you know, something that really intrigues me is you remember the... Um, 2011, the Fukushima, a nuclear reactor disaster, when the um, you know the tsunami came and busted it all up. Now, at the time, Fukushima. Let me go back for a second. The Fukushima area has a long history of UFO sightings. Okay. Now, at the time of the incident, both before but particularly later, there were lots of reports of objects in the sky okay there's even videos of them now the problem is and i've gone deep down trying to research this no one can find out who shot the videos a couple of them have been firmly debunked as not being near fukushima okay these videos a couple of them do appear to be around fukushima near the nuclear plant but beyond just those videos there were a lot of witnesses to that. And it makes sense, right? You know, you hear a lot about UFOs interested in nuclear facilities, nuclear weapons, power plants, stuff like that. So if they're interested, they sure as heck be interested in a big disaster like that. Yeah, they really would, especially to uh, Mark Ollie's theory. I just had him on such a cool episode. Uh, and he talks about that ancient culture that's coming back. And maybe they're looking around going like, ah. Oh. Now we got to clean this up, you know. Ah, oh, these, you know, these people were not good stewards of this place while we were gone. Uh, you really aren't. So, and you guys around the Ring of Fire, right there, of course, with the all the volcanic activity in the Pacific Ocean, there, um, you also have a Devil's Triangle. That's very similar to the Bermuda Triangle over here. Do you know anything about that? I, I, all I know about it is this frequent UFO, UFO sightings around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty. Crazy. I don't know. I, you know, the, the Bermuda Triangle, the Devil's Triangle, that stuff, even as a UFO researcher, perplexes me. I don't understand. There's theories running rampant about why it could be, you know, underwater bases. Who knows, man? That stuff's really interesting, though. You know, UFOs and water is a whole nother topic. Huge rabbit hole you can dive into. Uh, pun intended. Very nice, Mr. Man, with your USOs. <laughs> dive into it. 
Man, Peter Whitley, you bring the heat every time, brother. That's, That's why right. we book you. I'll be here all week, folks. That's right. <laughs> well, I, so tell us about your abduction cases, brother. Sure, sure. When I was 17 years old, um, I was going to bed. Okay, this is the first one. I was going to bed. A blue light comes in, triangulates through my bedroom window, my closed bedroom window. Now, it triangulates, pinpoints to where I am laying in bed, okay? And I see this light coming in. Wow, that's strange. Now, after the light comes in, two entities just snap, materialize out of thin air. Through this light though, however, in the light. Now they're both small, I estimate maybe three, four feet tall. Um, they looked, now it's dark. The only illumination basically is this blue light in my room. Given that illumination, they look to me to be like reddish or darker in color, orange, red, something like that. Could have been cut because of the lighting. Now, one of these entities starts heading for my bedroom door. The other entity is staying there next to my bed. Now, I'm awake, right? I haven't fallen asleep yet. So I'm scared as hell. I attempt to just jump out of bed, literally jump out of bed, right? I'm going to jump out of bed. So I, I do. I begin. I hop up. I'm frozen in midair, completely frozen. I mean, I'm, you know, maybe half my body is still touching the ground. I mean, it's touching the bed, but I'm frozen. I can't move at all, right? So... And the, here's the, str well, the strange thing. The whole thing's strange. Yeah. But one of the things that really struck me at the time is as soon as I jumped, I could tell these two entities were surprised. Right? Like, it's like there was some sort of telepathic emotional connection going on. I could tell these guys were surprised. Okay? They take me out the window. That's and I blackout, right? I'm terrified. Last memory of that incident. Wake up the next morning, my body's electric. I go and tell my mom, You had a bad dream. It wasn't a dream. I wasn't sleeping, you know, yada, yada, yada. Anyways, that was the first one. The first one. Okay. Can, can we unpack that before you go to the second one? Sure can. Okay. Window, was it closed or open? closed blinds were closed as well I, I i had blinds or what the ones that go up and down uh shutters or whatnot you know what i mean yeah blinds uh yeah window closed blinds down and you how do you know you went through it not just to it and stopped i saw my felt myself going through the go through it you felt yourself like yeah. materialized through you know it's interesting uh, I, didn't, I didn't i didn't feel anything I just, you know, I was frozen. Like I couldn't really feel my body and I was just in a state of terror, you know, but, um, yeah, I just, I, you know, just with my eyes went through the window. When, when they grabbed you and floated you through, were there earlier opportunities to go to the other side of your house outside? Let's say had the wall not been there. Does that make sense? Like, did they go yeah, out made... of their way to go to the window? Uh, that makes sense. Um, but, you know, my window faced uh, our backyard, a wooded area. Um, that probably would have been just if, if they were going to come to my house at the time, pick someone up, would have been the most convenient place. Um, I kind of wonder why that other guy was headed towards the, bed, the bedroom door. Yes. That interests me. Yes. Now, uh, an addendum to this. So um, years later, after the second abduction, I decided, and this is after I began researching the phenomenon, I decided to go get regressive hypnosis, see if I could further unpack them, just like you said, right? So I find a qualified, it's, you know, it's tough if you're looking for a regressive hypnotherapist that's open to the idea of um, UFOs, um, alien contact, etc. You really got, it takes some work, right? I found a really cool one, though, in Washington State. So I went to this regressive hypnotherapist. He puts me under. And now if you've never done regressive hypnosis, it's amazing. You can recall the poster on your bedroom wall 
that, I mean, you would have never remembered that poster. You, you know, I saw that the rack of CDs I had on my desk table. You see stuff that you're like, wow, that was really there. Re it's very vivid. He puts me under and um, we get to the moment those entities materialize and I'm right back there though. Sheer terror, tears running down my eyes. We rewind, we go forward, try to go back to the incident. Did that a few times, same result. I was reliving it, right? It was too terrifying. And so responsibly, he, you know, he quit. He said, you know, I don't think exploring this further is going to help you. And I said, you're right. I don't think it is either. I need to take it for what it is. Yeah. Just from that perspective, maybe, maybe one, again, it's one of those things. You're not ready to unlock that yet. It's not wisdom you need yet. That's interesting. And that's a, that's how you know is because that's your indicator, right? That you're just not emotionally capable of comprehending it yet. So I, I'm curious though. It's funny that they take you to the window, you know, and it's funny that that guy was going to the door. Like they're using um, portals, like we would see them, like to go to another space, like from inside your room to out in the hall, or from your room through the window out back. It's just interesting because if they can phase through stuff, there's a little blue ball of light. Why do they have to jump here and walk around anything or use doors at all? And if they were phasing you through the window, why didn't they just phase you? through the closest spot they were at, which would be the door of the ceiling, you know, straight up, something like that. Uh, it's just interesting. So I I want to ask you about your second case, and then um, there's some stuff I want to ask you about astral projection. Okay, go ahead. Second case happened about six months later. At that time, I was 18. Um, this time, I woke up on a UFO. And, you know, People say sometimes in, in cases of abduction, you know, I'm, I'm an abduction researcher. Um, oh, you know, you've had it was night terror, sleep paralysis, stuff like that. You know, um, as a researcher, I've looked into a lot of that stuff. And I can say with authority, this was not sleep paralysis. I was conscious. I woke up inside the UFO. I'm laying down on a table. OK, I wake up once again. OK, now. There's an entity next to me. He's a tall gray, like you hear about, right? Maybe five feet tall. He's got, he's gray, gray, literally gray, big eyes like that. He's to the right of me. I wake up and again, I can tell he's surprised. You know, he's thinking you're not supposed to be awake. Sheer terror, can't move. He's got this long rod. Okay, it's silver in color, maybe 12 inches long. Um, it's thin, um, kind of like one of those little pointers your teachers in high school might have had to point, to point at stuff or whatnot, you know, big, long steel thing. Yeah, like Bob um, Hope's microphone. Remember that thing? Yeah, exactly. Right here. Okay. So he's got this thing in his hand, and he tells me telepathically, he conveys the idea, this isn't going to hurt. He takes that rod. It's not, that's 12 inches long. It looks like it to me. He puts that thing in my right ear. Okay. Deep, deep. You know, he puts his hand all the way up into my ear with that rod. It didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. Um, and at the end of that, there was some sort of feeling I conveyed for him where it was just like, you know, okay, you know, goodbye. And I was out. Second count. Now, I wake up the next morning again, body electrified. You've got this kind of, I wouldn't say it's anxiety, but it's, it's that adrenaline rush, right? You've still got it the next day. So immediately I run into the bathroom, which is right next to my bedroom, inspect my ear. Okay. Now I put my finger in it. Shouldn't put anything bigger than smaller than your elbow in your ear, but I couldn't help it. Put my finger in there just to feel around a little bit, right? A small bit of dried blood on the finger, on the finger. Once again, I go upstairs. My mom's in the same spot. She's always reading the newspaper. It happened again. You're having bad dreams. That was the second encounter. Dude. The next day yeah. adrenaline thing is interesting. It's an artifact of the experience. It shows you got hyped up. It shows you were amped up for something. So that's that's kind of a telltale sign, kind of like missing time. It's like an artifact. It's like a residue, right? Yeah. Damn, man. 
Yeah. I had one more abduction experience um, about seven years ago. We talked about that maybe. I don't feel like. No, I want to know about that, but I'm going to uh, uh, self-correct here on the spot. I said Bob Hope's microphone earlier. Bob Barker is what I meant. Yeah, Bob Barker. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, spay yeah. new to your pets, guys. Yeah. Uh, the legend continues. Okay, I just wanted to correct <laughs> that right. really quick so, so to avoid the mail, and they can send you mail on how awesome you did instead mm -hmm. of me mail about it. It's Bob Barker, dickhead. Okay, so um, so yes, tell me about uh, your next uh, abduction experience, the, the other one you were talking about. Yeah, I've had three. This is the like three conscious abductions, I call them. You know, I, I suspect there might have been more throughout my life, but not, you know, I can't say it. Three conscious abductions. Third one, last one that happened was about seven years ago. Um, now, my son was just about one years old. We took him back to America to visit my family for Christmas. Okay. Now, this time, I wake up on board a ship, okay? I'm sitting up, okay? Some sort of molded chair. Across from me is my infant son. And he's sitting in, this sounds so stupid, he's sitting in what looks to be like an alien baby chair. Okay. It's like, so, so he's eye level to me, right? And it's kind of molded to fit him. He's grinning. He's happy, right? So between us in the middle, there's this ball, an orb of some sort, some sort, like a globe. Inside, there's like this purple liquid or gas swirling around, okay? To the right of me, again, we got a tall gray, okay? Now, as I come to and I see my son, one interesting thing is my son kind of greets me now, this is all telepathic. No words are being exchanged. And I don't know if I can convey the feeling here, but what happens is my son greets me, but it wasn't a baby greeting. It was like just the emotional, like it's like if you and I saw each other in the street and just nodded, there'd be a feeling, right? But if you see a baby in a, in a carriage and you nod at the baby, even if the baby acknowledges you, it's a different feeling, right? There's a feeling between adults, right? It was like that. And that tripped me out. You know, I was like, why is my son, you know, have this air of being a grown up? So this gray to my right, he says telepathically, they don't use words, it's ideas. Some, the, the general idea was if you agree to this, you will understand each other's souls. I don't know what that means. I didn't know what it means at the time. I you, still don't. You and your grown ass baby, those souls would be joined together? Yeah, that was the implication. Okay. We would understand, understand each other's souls, right? So I don't know what that means. I'm confused. I'm not terrified this time. This was not a terrifying experience. Like maybe I've been around the block at that yeah. point. You know, <laughs> Old news, whatever. I got a thing at five, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Just drop another gray. Yeah, yeah, what do you want? What do you want this time? <laughs> I just I I have I have no answers for the guy, right? So I do nothing except sit there in bewilderment. Now he does something to the orb. It's not physical, but I can tell he does something to this big purple ball floating between us. As soon as he does something to this thing, my son and I together. Okay. Now I, again, like going through the window, I see this through my eyes. We shoot down from space into Earth atmosphere, through cloud cover, through the roof of my parents' house, into the bed, okay? It happens in the blink of an eye, but I see it, right? I see it happening. Again, just materializing, dematerializing through, through the roof of the house. And then this was a trip. When we get there, my son, is sitting on my lap, right? He's sitting on my lap. He's still got that shit-eating grin on his face <laughs> like he's just had the time of his life. And I just look at him and just kind of smile back, put him to bed, go back to sleep. Yeah. Damn, that is crazy, <laughs> dude. <laughs> that was pretty wild, yeah. Uh, it, is anyone in your family in the military? 
No, it's not bad. No. Really? Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So all of your abduction accounts happened in the States? That's true. Yes, that's correct. In, in Washington? As far as I know. Yep, Washington State. It's very interesting, man. Yeah. Man, okay. Well, um, so let's uh, let's get into some astral talk real quick, and this will probably tie back into what you just talked about about your abduction cases. Which thanks for sharing, man. That's that's fascinating. There's a lot of interesting detail in there, and that's just really interesting. Thank you again for sharing. So, uh, what do you know about astral travel? Okay. Well, I would say nowadays I know a lot. Uh, a year and a half, two years ago, I knew nothing about it. Um, in fact, if you would have asked me if astral projection is real a couple of years ago, I laughed in your face. And I'm a guy that believes I was taken by aliens, right? I thought it was, you know, but I was still more of a nuts and bolts guy, right? You know, like, um, so I thought that was all garbage. So what, one of my hobbies is using a hypnosis on myself, self-hypnosis and audio guided hypnosis okay i've been doing this for like 20 years um when i was uh in college it was either the thrift shop or our garage i found this nondescript black fall leather uh case and inside there were 12 self-hypnosis audio cassettes and and I was intrigued. I had to go buy a cassette player. Cassettes were long dead. Yeah. I went and bought a cassette player and started using them. I thought, this is cool. So um, I've been doing it off and on for about 20 years, right? Um, and the last four or five years, I've been doing it very regularly. Now, a year and a half ago, roughly, um, I'm kind of getting bored, right? Most hypnosis and self-hypnosis is uh, for the purposes of like, Oh, you know, confidence, um, build confidence, um, motivation, stop procrastination, stuff like that. Um, I don't have huge problems with that stuff anyway. I kind of used it more as a relaxation technique, but I was bored, man. I was bored. So I start looking into like, what other things can I do that are like hypnosis? Okay. I've tried meditation before. It just doesn't sit well with me. Don't know why. Okay. Try fistful so mushrooms. <laughs> well that you know i've tried those before too but it wasn't something i could do on a daily basis yeah fair enough. yeah um so i happened to come across the idea of the out-of-body experience right and i came across this through reading um one of robert monroe's books okay dr robert monroe now he um went on to found the monroe institute they have a program called the Gateway Experience, which teaches you slowly how to get out of body. Okay. So I can't go, I can't attend there. I'm in Japan. They're in the States. It's a little retreat. I don't got the time, but I do purchase their audio version of it. Okay. Now I go through it um, to tell the truth. As someone who's been doing hypnosis and is used to like getting into these deeply relaxed states, I felt it really slow. It's like, it's, you know, it's like it'd be, it would be seven CDs worth of audio. I felt it to be pretty slow. But by the end of the course, I realized, hey, yeah, I can get out of my body. Okay. So once I realized this was possible, first thing snaps into my head is, dude, I got to use this to go up to these UFOs and talk to these guys, right? You know, UFOs, abduction research, this is my life anyway. It's natural that I think of that. So, like I said, I thought the gateway, pro the gateway process is awesome, but for me, it was a bit slow. So, I kind of created my own thing. It's just a little hypnotic abduction. Um, and then I go, I go under, um, you know, I could go into it. But anyway, I go and I have a process where I get into an astral state. Okay. So the first time I do it with the intent to go up there, I come out of the body, look around the room, recognize I'm out of my body. My intention is to go to a UFO. It's not like I flew through the roof up the clouds in this astral form and went to the UFO. My intention is to go to the UFO. Boom. I appear in a UFO. Okay. Now, 
the the light is blinding. There's a blinding light. I can barely see, but I can tell I'm in a UFO. Okay. So I'm, you know, I'm feeling in my mind, I can't see. And then I feel this response, this telepathic response. It's like, wait a minute. Okay. I don't know if I had to get acclimated to it or what. So I wait a little bit. And as eventually the light stops blinding me and there's a small gray, small gray. And that kind of began my um, process of doing this as a hobby and research. Honestly, um, in 2021, I conducted 40 sessions where I successfully astrally projected to a UFO. I stopped in, I believe it was late October. I journaled every one of them. Um, and then, you know, there was a reason I stopped. It kind of felt like a chapter ended. Um, this year, I've just begun again. Yeah, that's how it all started. That is so cool. So you could just astral project onto a UFO anytime you want. Yeah, yeah, basically. I need, well, I need, I can't just sit here and close my eyes and do it while we're talking, right? Right. Um, I, I need a quiet room. I lay down. Um, I put earphones in because I have my own hypnotic um, induction. You know, I can't be disturbed. If you were to come in and tap me on the shoulder, you're going to snap me out of it, right? But on any given day, if I want to do it, I'm successful. Occasionally, if I'm too sleepy, I'll lay down. I'll just wake up an hour later and I'll be like, damn, I missed it. (laughs) But for the most part, I can do it. Yeah, or you astral project onto a UFO and take a nap. And they're like, ah, just let him sleep. He's, <laughs> yeah, could be. he's all good tuckered place out. To, good, good place to catch some wings, right? Yeah. I, well, it's interesting to me that you can just do this. Now, are any of the entities that you encounter whenever you do this surprised to see you? Or is it welcoming? No, they're very welcoming. They're very, very amicable. Um, I have interacted mainly with five distinct entities, Okay. Two small grays. Now, I can tell they're distinct. And there's a couple of reasons why. The main reason is you just get this feeling of who they are just intuitively as soon as you see them, right? Like they're individuals. Like a lot of people speculate about a hive mind and, hey, they may have that. But these entities are distinct. Now, there's two small grays. One of them, and this sounds crazy, but I can only, like the, the only words I can use to describe, one of them is masculine, one of them is feminine. I can't describe it any, any way other than that. There's a feeling about that, okay? Just kind of by the, the presence or their, their feeling that you get from them. Now, let me ask you this. Did you sense a life force from them? I know that you're talking about that you can sense uh, uniqueness and individuality and then masculine feminine, but that could be, let's say, wildly speculative, uh, synthesized in some sort of automaton, right? So let's say that they electromagnetically give off a pulse and their settings are dialed in a way to where these automatons that are super advanced, you know, because this is one of the things that people talk about, that some witnesses have reported that they're almost more robotic-like and they don't get a feeling that there's like anyone home kind of a thing, but there is like an AI in there that can perhaps mimic or, you know, pulse out the energy that, you know, it's kind of like um, for us, like a purring to a cat. Like we're like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool, you know, because it kind of pacifies us. It may be part of the package, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can see why people would, would, would think that. Um, and let's go a little bit deeper into the rabbit hole, okay? Um, they do exhibit personalities. They actually exhibit also a sense of humor. I, now, all of this is muted. None of that, though, means that it can't be synthesized, right? So a couple of sessions in to my projections, um, I'm taken to a room that to me looks like it might be a laboratory. Everything up there is just kind of white, off-white, molded. It looks like plastic. You can't really tell what it is. And this time I see a tall gray. Okay, he's got this big thing coming down from the ceiling onto like, I don't know, a workbench, I guess is what you would call it. And he's 
He's got another one of those rods. I swear it looked just like the rod they stuck in my ear. He's got one of those rods. He's fiddling with this capsule. The capsule's got light in it, right? And so I've got one of the grays with me. They're my guide. I didn't talk to the tall gray this time or didn't communicate. And I asked this um, gray, I said, what is he doing? And the gray says, all right, at first I said, what's, what's in that capsule? The gray says, you are. Now, the implication, but he doesn't say it. He telepathically conveys his message, you are. The implication being not me, humans, humanity. Oh, okay. Okay, right? Like our souls, right? It's, it's, it's ideas, right? So it's really hard to like say like he said this or, but, but that's the idea, okay? So this gray tinkers with it. And then apparently he's finished. That thing shoots back up and I get the impression he shot it off into space, right? So I ask this gray next to me, where's it going? And he says, it doesn't matter where it's going. It matters why. Okay. Okay. So my, so I'm, like, what I'm gathering on. is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, can you feel me? It'll be in a little bit more. What I'm gathering is there's some sort of reincarnation process going on. So I asked, I asked this gray next to me. This was my first thought, like, hey, you guys are cool. Do we ever get to come back as you? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Right. And like I said, they exhibit a sense of humor. And so he was amused. I could tell he was a bit amused. And he said, he said, no, we don't have souls. See, he that's said, what we were talking about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what you're talking about. And that, that's, what, that's, why, that's what wraps this up here. Yeah. He says, we don't have souls. We were created. We are what you might call biological robots. It's more complicated than that. We were created for this purpose. That's our job. So, yeah, exactly. Like people said, it, you know, now I don't, I can't say, you know, are those emotions, those personalities, where that comes from, you know? But yeah, apparently they're lacking the life force that we might call assault. You know what's crazy about this? I've been thinking about this lately. Uh, this place is kind of like Westworld in a way, in the way that there are entities and things here that interact here that are stuck here or that are part of this experience I can't leave that don't that aren't us you know what I'm saying like let's say that the powers that be that kind of sway things politically one way or another like they're just stuck here and they just have to keep living this place over and over and over again and their job maybe is to create this place that's very dense here and so they are programmed uh, like these artifacts you know this experience that they just want to get 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 and power 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 and whatever they need to do and so they exploit everything and that's like their programming you know that's their job that's their role and they're stuck here too so they don't reincarnate you know they, they they're stuck here meaning that yeah when that physical body dies they just quantum you know leap to another body and they're born again and they do it again uh and you know maybe it is something like this to where this experience that we are in is just tailored for us. It's like a Westworld, right? I mean, you get to pick kind of what you experience when you're here. And then these entities are part of like the package that people like me and you pick, you know, uh, we're not really into like the sports and the Kardashians and shit, but we will take the UFOs and aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Check that box. Sign me up. And so this could be the way in which this, uh, it interfaces with us in this experience as, as part of the experience, whatever that means. Definitely. Westworld's a, the perfect analogy because we're we're I feel like we're players in some sort. I, 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 it's not a game, not a game in the sense of we're just pawns, but we're kind of players in this reality. And there are hands behind the scenes and it feels like it's these entities that are doing things to guide us or keep the keep the program on track, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like the Smiths or something, or they're just all part of this place. They're all NPCs, technically. Like, they're not real people, but they make real decisions that affect things here. And that's why you get the things like predictive programming and all of that, where they have to tell you what they're going to do, and they're very open about it. Uh, even more so to the fact that they have to convince you to think of it and manifest it in this world, because that's the only real power they have is influence. Now, their influence is dialed to 11, so they're super convincing and very, very good at it, 
because they just have an infinite generation of time to figure out how to do it. You know, again, it's their programming. And so uh, it's interesting, man. I, I kind of just look at it like you, like an experience, like a game like that. But we're the players here. We're the ones that showed up like, all right, let's go for it. You know, push play. Let's go. We're ready. Yeah, man. Yeah, that, that, to me, that's a real freeing concept as well. I mean, not in the sense of like, hey, I'm going to go Grand Theft Auto and go jack a car because right. this is all a game. But it, it's freeing in the sense of like, you know, hey, listen, like I can kind of, you know, I can be anything I want to be, right? Like I'm a lot freer than I thought I was, you know, in, in a sense, you know, and I don't I don't want to disparage any, anyone's beliefs or stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think we're all our own kind of gods or we all share some sort of universal consciousness. It, it's freeing to me that know that there's a, something out there. We're part of it. And, you know, maybe the best thing we can do is just explore it and see, you know, how much we can understand. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's kind of like this. I mean, if it is that way, yes, Grand Theft Auto is not. Once you reach the level of consciousness that you're able to kind of wrap your mind around that concept, the Grand Theft Autoing is not an option. Like you just don't do it. It's just not a, it doesn't vibrate at the right frequency for you. You know, you're stealing your own car, right? You and you and and the guy that you're stealing from, you're the same, right? Yeah. See, it is that. It's that unity consciousness understanding. And that's why that, and it's a natural thing to bring up. Like, I, I, God love him. I'm grateful that he does it. David Warner Matheson does this. And I've, I've had him, uh, I've spoken to him in a professional, like out there kind of a concept twice, once on a panel show and he was once on my show and we were talking about this very thing and he rightfully brought up and I love that he brings it up because we, you know, having already kind of broken the barrier of that concept where we're like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. We get all that. Okay. Now what does that mean? And that's the, the, what does it mean? Part of the conversations, what we're having this part over here. That's like, okay, wait, we need to kind of come back to the fundamentals, you know, of this that have to be articulated for it to be not look like as a, like a shitty thing or like that it's ignorant to think about. And so that concept of, yes, if you just go shoot someone in the head, then it's different. But this is the part of the conversation where we go, okay, it takes a certain level of understanding and cognitive like comprehension to be able to get to the point where you get that part of it. But just to what you said, Peter, man, uh, it's just you. So you'd be shooting you in the head and all that good shit too. Yeah. Not a desire. It's not an issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's freeing too. And if you, you know, you know, there's, there's, there's a, one of the common terms right now is contact modalities, basically meaning all the different ways people can come into contact with, you know, kind of what we're talking about, that universal consciousness. There's, you know, there's tons of them, meditation, hypnosis, astral projection, right? Remote viewing, et cetera, et cetera. There's tons of different ways you can access and kind of peek behind the curtain. And once you gain that knowledge and you practice those skills, Man, that is, it changes your life forever. I'm not kidding. I am a different person today than I was two years ago in a much, much more positive way. You know, not to say I was a bad guy two years ago, but I was ego driven. I think like most people are. And a lot of that is dissolved. You know, I've got to hook you up with a guy named Brent. Uh, he runs uh, something called um, the uh, shit. Fuck. Uh, Museum of Tarot. Okay, I just okay. Ran, totally brain farted on it. Museum yeah. of Tarot, yeah. and he's awesome. But he does a lot of this stuff. But the the Hemisync idea and the Gateway experience is something he touches on a lot. He knows a ton about it. So the what I was thinking about whenever you were talking about your experience taking a little bit longer, and then you just kind of adapted your own. That's a that's a testament to you because you were able to take this minuscule and actually deliberately altered information I'll get to in a minute uh, and transmute it into something that was a stepping stone for you to make it useful for you in the way that you wanted it to. So that's that's a testament to you, brother, because you were actually the gateway tapes that you got were deliberately tampered with. When Dr. Monroe died, the I want to say it was Department of Defense or somebody came in and took over the project and then they altered it. But this guy, Brent, who I'm going to hook you up with. Uh, has all the original stuff. And so he knows the difference between the two. He knows, you know, what makes them different and why it's more beneficial and all that and why they suppressed it, right? Uh, because it it's very powerful. That's why they did it. So uh, I'm going to hook you up with him. He's just cool as shit anyway. You'll like him a lot. 
Okay. That'll be fascinating to see the differences. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I want to say what you touched on there about adapting it to your own experience. I think everyone needs to do that. Like now I'm a big proponent of astral projection because it's what I do. Right. And I think people should try it, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it's probably not going to work for everyone. Right. You all, everyone's going to have to tailor whatever contact modality resonates with them. You're going to have to tweak it a bit. To make it work with you, absolutely. That was a great point you made. Well, um, it 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 is in the way that it is, but it's because this is so specific, and we talk about this all the time. Uh, Near death experiences, the UFO phenomena, all of this stuff is so personal for you, for everything. You know, like when you're standing on a body of water, the light comes to you. All of the, you know what I'm saying, and it, but it does it for everyone standing there. So it's just this in- interesting observation that. In this place, it seems like whatever the hell you experience is just for you, man. And so to discover the modalities you did in which you were able to connect in that way to something extrasensory and phenomenal is is awesome. And that's part of the package that you, that's the box that you checked on the other side, you know, perhaps. Uh, when you came here was to experience that. And it's very interesting to kind of see what people gravitate towards and then to see them really go after it and fulfill it. Because even that, man, just that you were drawn to something and then actually saw it through uh, is... Uh, that alone is very unique. I mean, meaning anything, like if you uh, saw through, you know, finally getting your GED or something, you know what I mean? Even that's very, very rare. So it's really cool just to see that you did that, but with something so dope, like astral travel, I've never done it. Like I, I don't. So uh, what's some resources maybe that you can point people towards if they want to get into astral travel? Well, you know, like I said, um, you know, I got into it through the gateway experience. I would recommend, I would recommend there's a gentleman by the name of Tom Campbell, Oh, yeah, yeah. He wrote a book called My Big Toe. Okay. Now, aside from Dr. Monroe's books, I consider My Big Toe to be the Bible of out of body experiences. That's a fantastic resource. There's a subreddit about astral projection. And they've got a ton of resources there. Um, Actually, that community using those resources helped me a lot when I tailored my own program. Um, Since I started going, you know, it was hard for me to come out about this stuff. As a UFO researcher, national director for MUFON here in Japan, part of the ERT team, I've got my own career. Coming out using my own name was tough. But I'm so glad I did it because so many people have contacted me, people that share the same experiences, people that are close to getting there, people that are just starting, right? I made my own website, PeteWhitley.org. I'm not selling anything, but I'm hoping that can be another resource for people to come on and just join in the conversation. We can help each other. Dude, absolutely. This will all be linked in the show notes, guys. So make sure you check that out. I am also going to link the My Big Toe uh, by Tom Campbell as well. Have you ever heard of Lester Velez? I have heard of Lester Velez, yes. Have you ever met him? I have not met him. I would love to. Same thing. I'm going to get you in contact with him. He's a good friend. He actually just lives a couple hours from here. Been on the show. He runs Opus, which is, you know, move. Okay, cool. Yeah, I got to get you in contact with him. He's cool as shit. Anyway, so exciting. Okay, uh, well, tell me about just your favorite UFO case, like ever. Just something cool about UFOs that you just find mind-blowing. Oh, man, my favorite case ever. Something that I find mind-blowing. Um. Boy, you you know what? Okay, this is what I find mind blowing about UFOs. So the and not just UFOs, but the phenomenon in general. Okay, now there's another book I'd like to recommend to anyone interested in UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, ghosts, hauntings, and the paranormal. It's by the late John Bylett. It's called the extra dimensional universe. Okay. Now, what he did is he went back and found a couple of um, late 1800 and early 1900 esoteric philosophers. And they had written some really interesting stuff about the state of the a state of our state of reality. Uh, are you familiar with the book Flatland, the little oh, yeah. novella? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I've got um, uh, the fifth, uh, fourth dimension by uh, Rudy Rucker, which explains. There, that's another one. And that's what I was going to say. This aspect of the phenomenon fascinates me. And I truly believe in it. Now, I think right now, 
you and I, humanity, we are stuck in this third dimension. And there exists that other dimension, possibly more, that other dimension that we just can't physically, biologically access, right? Just like in the book Flatland. In that next dimension, time would be a spatial thing, okay? The past, present, the future, all in front of you. You can go here, you can go there, you can look here, you can look there. That aspect of it blows my mind. The more I read about it, the more I believe in it. And I think by us getting in touch um, with that universal consciousness, however we can, I think that gives us a little bit of a peek. But what the book, The Extra Dimensional Universe, talks about is how all of these phenomenon exhibit the same traits as like in the book Flatman, where a three-dimensional entity enters the two-dimensional reality, right? They pop in and out. It doesn't seem possible. Yet, if these entities are operating on a fourth-dimensional or higher level, it would be completely possible, and they'd exhibit the kind of things we see. That's what blows my mind, and that was another paradigm shift for me. Dude, yes, absolutely. And the, one of the uh, metaphors I often use for this is like a pond. Okay, say that you're a fish in a pond, all right? And from your perspective, your world is that. That's You've got your laws of physics down. You know what's going on. You know other creatures around you that look like that. All of a sudden, there's this thing that jumps in the water, and it's got big, gigantic things sticking out of it, and it's got a head and all that stuff, and then it swims out, and then it gets out of the water and vanishes. And you're like, what the hell was that? And it was a human being that jumped in the pond. Well, now... You're looking around, you're like, what the hell was that? And it just seemed to vanish or just dematerialize from this place of yours and now is no longer visible. And then it appears somewhere else. It had jumped in somewhere else. It's just kids jumping in the pond. But from your perspective, there's some foreign entity that's violated the laws of physics as you know them because that's a barrier to you. You don't go up there. Uh, You can't survive there. It's not for you. And uh, this is maybe what's happening. It's It's just as accessible for them to come here to Earth because it's a pond for them, just like we can go into a pond. It's just a similar accessibility. It's not hard. You know, it's just possible great example it's just like that i totally agree i totally agree yeah absolutely it's so cool man and uh the phenomena just keeps changing i'm a big fan of the interdimensional thing though that's kind of uh where i am with it as well and i like the uh uh, rucker's work and flatland's work about the, the way that they visualize it because it is interesting and i like also that flatland knocked it down to the second d for us to conceptualize because that was easier and um it's it's Man, I don't know, dude. The phenomena just keeps changing and going off like crazy. What are you, what are your thoughts on uh, disclosure? Do you think it's important? Um, boy, you know, I don't think disclosure is ever going to happen until our hands are forced, their hands are forced. Um, I think, I mean, of course, as we see right now, it looks like there's elements in the um, government that are trying to promote soft disclosure. Um, you know, people have a lot of crazy theories. I, mean, I, I'm, I should take that back. I mean, I'm crazy. I actually project to UFOs. I, I can't, call, I'm in no right to call people crazy, okay? But, you know, the, people, there's a conspiracy theory out there that, you know, um, that this is all false flag, the um, Project Blue Beam, they want to fake an alien invasion. I don't think that's true personally. I think they know that something's going on. I think the problem is they don't understand it either. We may have been able to, um, you know, go back and use some of that tech um, and, you know, figure out how it works. Fiber optics might have came from the Roswell crash, for example. You know, they might be working with some of the things and trying to figure out how how it works and what's going on. I think they don't know themselves. I think that's a big part of why disclosure hasn't happened. I think uh, disclosure is like another distraction. I think they're just going to kick the can down the road. And I think either way, it's not going to be the truth. And I think that perhaps if we go with the Westward world model, then it's when the cowboy teams up with the samurai from Japan when they finally figure out that those lands were accessible. You know what I mean? It's like the Earth NPCs here team up with the alien NPCs there. And so there's a conjunct narrative. There's a conjunct roles that they play. So they're completely aware of each other. They know exactly what's going on. They just play buffoonish as to not, you know, lead us on to what's really happening here. Perhaps, you know. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we all want we all want disclosure. We all want to know what the government knows. We all want to know the secrets. What's the truth behind all these things? I don't think it's going to happen. Like you said, they're going to keep kicking the can. I think anyone that wants disclosure, my advice would be to step back away from that for a second and start looking at contact modalities, start looking into meditation, at astral projection, hypnosis, try to find your own, um, for lack of a better term, spiritual way to access, you know, access that universal consciousness. I think that's as close to disclosure as we're ever going to get, you know, individuals waking up. That's it. You got to do the research, guys. And a great way to do that is to check out Peter's website. Everything will be linked down in the show notes. Peter Whitley, I can't thank you enough, dude. This has been amazing. We will definitely have to have you back on, my friend. I I could talk to you all day, Brandon. Thanks a lot for having me, my man. It's been a pleasure. Fascinating, fascinating. I love uh, Peter Whitley's approach. His uh, interest in the abduction phenomena makes sense, uh, him being an abductee himself. So uh, all the ways to find him, guys, as well as those additional links will be located down in the show notes. Check that out for show. As well down there is our affiliate link. So Food Forest Abundance, make sure you check that out. As well as if you want to start your own show, do it through Libsyn. And then if you're going to buy any damn thing at all uh, through Amazon, do it through our link. It's a direct link to Amazon, but it helps the show for something you're going to get anyway. And I'm much appreciated to you in advance. So also, if you'd like to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com. Linked there will be all socials, uh, the merchandise, Rockfin for premium content. Also, we have lives that we are replaying, some live roundtable stuff uh, for free on the website, as well as too cool for YouTube. So YouTube can suck it. So we have it over there instead, and they're free. You just go check them out. So go uh, sign up for that as well. We have a mailing list that we will not spam you with, but it's just cool, dope shit that you'll want to check out anyway. So go out into this beautiful place, guys. Keep your eyes to the skies looking for some UFOs and some dope shit to check out there as far as high strangeness goes. While you're doing all of that on your ventures, pick up a piece of litter. Buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal. Something small goes a big, big, big way. As well as get out of that left-hand lane if you've got somebody behind you wanting to pass. And above all and anything else, y'all, go out into this beautiful place, whatever it is. And y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time.